Hello, and welcome to the Player to Prospect podcast. The following episode features a conversation with Isaiah Page, who is a pitching development coach for the Baltimore Orioles. To support the podcast, all follows, ratings, and reviews are appreciated. And now I present to you Isaiah Page. I guess I'll just start with like, what are you up to like right now? Because you're in the off season, like we're both in the off season, but obviously we do different things now. Like you being a coach in the off season, it's like, what is a coach? you know, for a professional organization do in the off season, you know? Yeah. It's, it's so different because, you know, we tell <laughs> our players like the off season is kind of like where you build certain routines or where you kind of want to like separate yourself from the pack so that when you walk into spring training, like you're there and you're ready to rock and roll. Mm. In my opinion, it's like almost the same thing for coaches in the off season. Like there's so many, there's so many conventions and information out there that you can go to, to sharpen certain skills and mm. things that you didn't quite know about throughout the season to where it's almost to the point if you're not like reading or like looking at some sort of like data analytics with your, with our players every day, it's like you're falling behind almost. Mm. And so I find myself pretty much going to this like local coffee shop right by my, by, by my apartment complex and like just going on my computer and just like seeing where it takes me. Mm. And I flood our pitching coordinator and, and some other people, like I flood their Slack inboxes just with all these questions. Like, what about this? What about this? And I, I feel yeah. bad at some point, but it's like, they, they love, I think that I'm willing to like put in this work in the off season. Cause like not every coach is going to do it. You know, everybody spends their mm -hmm. off season different ways, but in my opinion, like it's, if you're not doing something even physical, like I, I throw BP still in the off season. Why not? Dude, like if yes. you're not doing something, yeah, yes. you're gonna fall behind. Oh my gosh, Burns was telling you about this. He was like, "Dude, yeah, Isaiah literally <laughs> like throws to us. All of our coaches like throw to us." Colin Burns, for you know the listeners who I uh, played with at Tulane, um, like that is awesome that you're able to do that. Oh wait, okay, mm -hmm. so you're talking about um, like kind of staying up with it, you know, always learning. And again, like we're both really young, so it's like you kind of you're always learning, like when you're getting into something new, uh, like a new role, but. You're, would you say it's more of just broadening your knowledge altogether or are you diving into like your players and then you're trying to, you know, prepare for how you can like work with some players that, you know, you're going to be um, like working with more closely. Mm -hmm. It's, I think it's a little bit of both. Like for me, for example, this is my second year in a row now going mm -hmm. into a different role. So I'm still mm -hmm. kind of learning about what's expected from me kind of in general and ways that I can sharpen my knowledge on like pulse data or sharpen my knowledge on pitch design so that I can be mm -hmm. the best in my own personal role that I can. And then you can also do that within the context of players that you can guess that you're going to have. Or sometimes I go back to players that we had in high A where I was last year mm -hmm. and looking at some of their stuff, some of their pitch design metrics and whatnot, and making my own suggestions or hypotheses based on what I'm seeing now from a different lens, now that I'm more of a pitching strictly guy. Okay. Wait, so what were your differing roles? You said you're hopping into a second and new role this year. Mm -hmm. Last year, I was a fundamentals coach, which yeah. like in basic terms is basically like a fourth coach. So my responsibilities were outfield and base running and like a lot of defense. And mm. so when I originally got hired by the Orioles, our, our field coordinator, Jeff Kunkel, he played at Michigan as well. Mm -hmm. And so he was my original kind of like higher up. And that was my intro to professional baseball. He basically gave me my first shot. And then mm -hmm. I kind of made it clear to him that I want to do pitching. And so he said, that's up to you. Like he gave me the opportunity. He said, if you want to work with pitching, 
you know, get with your pitching coach um, throughout the season and learn as much as you can so that when roles do come up, you're a name that's, you know, thrown in the hat that we want to keep, especially when a lot of the teams want to keep hires within the staff just because you know the system a little better. Mm-hmm, and so yeah. that's kind of how it worked out with me, which is why I spent so much time with Colin this year because I was much more mm-hmm. with position players and stuff. Yeah, but I, I always figured that you were going to switch over to that pitcher role or you want to get into that pitching space. So were you able to do that during like during this year? Oh, totally, yeah. Like our, our pitching coach, Forrest Herman is his name. Like he he gave me every opportunity to be in any bullpen I wanted to, mm. any like post-action report, like guys going through their stuff. Anything I really wanted to do, he sat down with me and talked to me about it all. And so that's what kind of gave me like a leg up to be ready for this. It's just he did so well at the high A level that now I'll be in the complex to where mm. I know what worked, what systems worked up there that I can kind of help facilitate down. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. That Mm -hmm. makes sense. I find it pretty hard for a singular person to manage a whole pitching staff. Um, Mm -hmm. At this point, it seems like colleges are always looking for grad assistants or um, like an analytics guy they can add to their staff, though most can't do that. You know, most don't have really the money to do that. But in the pro side, Mm -hmm. I would think you always want multiple eyes um, just on your on your pitchers, at least. Right. I mean, then again, pro ball is a little bit of unique it's kind of like um you know you're there's always multiple eyes so like on everybody like people are sending videos and like that i mean mm. that whole side of it too is pretty crazy for you guys would you say you're starting to shift more tech heavy or like leaning more on that side because i know with us in my first year we weren't uh kind of in that sphere uh well enough and now i think we're switching over and it's going to be like a huge change more into that new school sort of tech-based um sort of approach to pitching Mm -hmm. and and yeah you're pretty right we we lean pretty heavily uh on the tech side i would say that it's it's taken upon which is different because so like you as a player it's like we facilitate the information to you any way that you can understand it the best and whatever you take with it, you run with it. Some players mm-hmm. do, some players don't. And then whatever happens, happens. But on our side, it's like, okay, we need to understand this all at a high level, whatever it is, whether it's like track men reports or biomechanics or understanding pitch design and how the ball moves and the physics of all that. And we need to be able to facilitate that to somebody at a high level. Like, let's say, for example, you, who's really interested or, you know, a Dominican player who's his first year in America and he has like no idea what TrackMan even is. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's that's the hardest part. But we have mm-hmm. such great people and some, I mean, unbelievably smart people. I was in Baltimore last month and we talked to some of our some of our analytics staff, Sig Midar, assistant GM and other people. And I'm just sitting there like, holy cow, how do, <laughs> you, how do they get this information? Yeah. And so to have them kind of in your corner though, to to explain it to you and then decipher it down to the players it helps for sure but i i I would agree to i guess there's some of the answer yeah we're definitely more tech heavy okay you said you 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 you're thinking about like going to conventions in the off season stuff like that to also broaden the knowledge do the orioles Mm -hmm. help you do that Mm -hmm. yeah the abca convention the american baseball coach association is like the biggest one oh yeah that's in january right yeah that's january 5th to the 8th in nashville which will be fun yeah, I was thinking of going to that. Honestly, like someone was like, dude, you should just go to that. One of the coaches I was interviewing, they're like, you should go to that. And I'm like, I mean, I could try it. <laughs> it's, uh, when, when you when you were talking about doing but... in-person interviews and stuff like that, I was thinking like that would be, I mean, a 
prime spot for you to interview like tens yes. of people at one time. Mm. And all these coaches, they also want to do some group stuff too, where it's like, you know, kind of a panel of like guys from all mm -hmm. over the place. I think that would be really cool that there's something just about college baseball right now. It's very, I don't want to say it's a weird time, but you're seeing a lot of transition with, uh, you know, transfer portal NIL kind of how, how that is all playing out. And I'm seeing a lot of different perspectives too, on like what that means to a program. And I don't know what that means for like the future of college baseball. Have you been like been following up with any of that stuff? I have because I keep in contact with a lot of like coaches who help me get to my position or like some of my teammates who are now like volleys or somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think about it and I, my headspace is like, I feel like it's, it's helping out the big dogs, like the, the big time SEC schools, like the big time ACC schools an mm -hmm. exponentially greater amount than it is like, like the UC Irvines or like the smaller schools who maybe aren't like perennial powerhouse Omaha teams, but do have those years where they really like spark and click or something like that. Yeah. Again, my, my knowledge of it isn't super high level just because I'm not in that space right now, mm -hmm. but I've heard, I've heard some wild stories of players getting things and like all I can think about is man I wish I was going through it at this yeah. point in time no I think about that too I think about what I would have gotten um but also uh because I had transferred after my freshman year as you mm. are probably aware I would have thought to myself do I even need to go junior college I could have probably gotten a great opportunity out of the transfer portal now and I think it must be affecting junior college in some way right oh it's totally it has to I feel like the competitive level <clears throat> It has to be decreasing, I would assume. Yeah. I mean, just just because like you can go anywhere. You you can literally go anywhere and there's pretty much no repercussions to it. Um and and you're like your junior college was good. Like Logan would tell me, you guys were mm -hmm. good. Yeah, we were we were very competitive. I mean, I think the problem is though with the transfer portal is how many kids are hopping in that transfer portal and then nothing comes out of it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And then they just have to go right back and that kind of relationship you know how important that is your relationship with your coaches like it kind of gets severed when you go to that portal like it's so I don't know I don't want to say cutthroat but it's like it's very much more for the player which I think is good but mm -hmm. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's for the betterment of like college baseball you know and I, I agree and like I was I don't know I, I was I was a four-year high school person at the same high school as a four-year college student, the same college. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know if it's like the degree of like loyalty and I, I don't want to like pump my own tires in this case, but like, like mm -hmm. I, I felt loyal to, to my head coach, Eric Backage for giving me a shot at Michigan. Mm -hmm. And so even though I, I tore my, my ACL, my freshman year of college, like yeah. my sophomore season, I was, I was a midweek guy, but we went to Omaha. So like, all right, I can't really complain. <laughs> um, but even though I was never like the Friday night guy or like somebody who was this huge, huge prospect that pitched all these innings, like I would always tell him like, like throw me where you think I fit because I always got it. Like I, I was an 85 to 88 righty with an average slider. Like I'm not going to go out on the weekends and dominate against Indiana or Maryland that are like these perennial good big 10 teams. Like you had some good role, players, bro. You guys had some like real good players while you were there too. Some yeah, and and like and there's there's an understanding of that 
which I think a lot of the people in the transfer portal and people who do transfer don't have that. Like understand who you are as a player and then be really, really good at your role. Yeah. And then I think opportunities come from that. Yeah. And it's like a transparency thing with coaches, just the communication side of it. Right. Just being like, Hey, look, like it's not that you're a good player and we just don't play you. It's like, no, you're just not good enough. Like, I feel like more kids need to hear that, you know, as opposed to being, you know, them kind of creating the idea in their head that they're, definitely good enough and that their, their coach just has something out to get them so they're like okay screw this like the situation sucks you know um and i've been a part of <clears throat> i mean three college teams well you can say four because two at tulane and i've definitely heard that that sort of like story get thrown around people think like they kind of play the victim and it's like all right come on now like don't kid yourself <laughs> but then you get to pro ball and there's none of that because it's like oh no like they're gonna they're gonna move you like if you're doing well they're not like they're gonna demote you if you're not doing well like they're gonna they're gonna tell you when you're not doing well and like it's gonna be obvious it's so much more like black and white which i love i think that's so much better um and i don't know how you guys are but i know um this like coming year like the new like a lot of hires that we've made like Matt Quichero and um, shoot, we got a new pitching coach too. I forgot what his last name was or what his first name was. I think it was something Sweeney. Um, but they were talking about how like communication, like top to bottom is just like super important. And I never really thought of it like that. Like how important just like from, you know, the top of the chain to the bottom, like that communication being like ultimately like really transparent, like how much that impacts like an organization. Like what's been your experience with that so far? We, we talk about it all the time and having mm -hmm. a shared language. And in my first department, the fundamentals department, we would say that it was the Oriole way of like doing things, hmm. especially because originally my role was, was more defense, more fundamentals, more base running. Like there are so many different ways that base running, for example, is taught mm -hmm. where it's like, if we don't get to them at this lower level and say, this is not how we do it. And then, we, and then as they make their way up, they do it the same certain way all the way up mm -hmm. like then when they get to the big leagues and it's October and something happens like that somebody makes a mistake on or somebody doesn't make a mistake on that trickles all the way down to what you taught them when they were like in the low A. yeah and so the communication aspect of it is so big especially in pitching like now it's you don't want to jumble words or have all these different cues like that don't work for somebody that we know don't work and so somebody in low A talks about it and says, okay, we'll say this, for example. And then you go up to double A and somebody's using those same old cues that haven't worked. And then you don't elevate yourself as a player. And it's just, I don't know. I think that there's so many different ways that organizations can have this linear communication, all mm -hmm. the same language, same everything. And especially, you're right, especially in pro while you do see it. You're right. Yeah, but not in college, not as much, at least maybe because it's harder maybe there's just less coaches per player mm -hmm. that'd be the problem like the main that, issue that could be it and i just I, yeah i think that it's it's like a staff of four maybe five especially like you're right as a pitching coach like you have what 18 19 pitchers like you're not like, gonna be there to watch yeah. every catch play session you're not gonna be there to watch every bullpen it's hard right mm -hmm. i mean i don't know how you do that like with accuracy too to play or not not necessarily playing the right players but getting like a clear idea of what of what everyone can bring to the table and sample size too. I mean, get like, what, like 10 innings in the fall, like another, Something another 10 like in the winter. 
it's like 20 innings you got 20 innings to like you know show them exactly like how like what your potential is it's wild to me but i don't know that's college baseball um have you um encountered any like pushback specifically or like how, how have you like dealt with like pushback when you're like trying to teach something and a player's just like what are you talking about like i don't get it because also some of these players are probably like your age like our age or even older like that's got to be weird right that's that's always the funniest thing so for context like Dante Williams, who mm. played at Arizona, I played mm-hmm. with Dante since I was like 12 years old. Yeah. And so then Dante started with us in high A in Aberdeen. And so it's like mm. this crazy, crazy twist of events to where like, this is one of my really good friends from playing that I'm now coaching. Yeah. And so I think the biggest thing that helped me straight up, especially for this role that I was doing, like when I, when I got to the, to the outfield group, which is my main responsibility in high A, I was like, look, you all are like the same age as me and you are literally further along in your careers than I have ever been. What I'm going to do is I'm going to facilitate information that I get from other people because this is my first year and what you think works for you, keep it. And if you think that Isaiah, this isn't for me, like don't. And Hmm. so I was straight up honest from the start in saying that I don't know everything and I will never claim to. I'm 23 years old. There are two or three of you that were literally older than me yeah yeah so there's never really any strong pushback because i laid out that foundation like right when i got started yeah i feel like that's easier too to say like hey look like i embrace kind of like the 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 opposing views you know like let's talk about it too as opposed to no this is how we do things like this is the only way we can do things and you can't push back whatsoever because you know it's uh it's not gonna it's not gonna be okay with us I feel like there's a switch. I feel like it's mm-hmm. starting to like switch over more to that first thing that I'm talking about. I would hope, right? Like, yeah, and I agree. And, and I, th- I think that it's like, I don't mean to cut you off, but like oh, I, 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 you, lose, you lose credibility almost. Like mm-hmm. when, you, when you hammer down on a player so hard that this is the only thing that we're going to do, we're only going to do it this way to where like maybe it's off. The, to me, the most fruitful conversations are the ones off the field, not talking at all about baseball. Because that's the stuff that really matters in like in a 130 game season, like how much, like how much stuff happens in your life versus just baseball. And so if you, yeah. if you hammer down on this guy for the first 40 games of the year and you don't have a foundation of a relationship, like he's not going to talk to you about things that are really bothering him or come to you for advice for on the field things in game 85 to 120 because mm. he didn't like you from the second you stepped onto the field with him. Yeah. Mm. That's so true. Oh my gosh. I, I think about like all the time, like what knowledge I would have wanted to have, you know, when I was younger, right? Like in freshman year of college or sophomore year of college, whatever it is, that's definitely one of those pieces of information. Like, oh man, if only I just like kind of put more into like getting to know the coach better, you know, I feel like like things could always be different, but eh, it is what it is. Um, Do you have any like wild stories from this year in terms of the like non-baseball stuff maybe like you know travel like a trip or like a crazy mm-hmm. hotel you guys went to because i mean yeah we went to some some funny places <laughs> um this is this is just like a crazy like he- like hellish kind of story but so yeah we, we made it we made it to uh the playoffs this past year mm. and so we were playing against the the brooklyn cyclones the mets organization Mm-hmm. Um, and then we ended up winning the third game at home on, on that Saturday. Mm-hmm. And so basically 
what the travel situation was, the game ended at like 11 and then we had to race to book flights because we had to go down to Bowling Green to play against the Rays oh. for the championship series on that Monday. Oh, and so, and so, And so basically our game ended at like 11. We celebrated <clears throat> like midnight, one o'clock. We had to report back to the field at 4 a.m. for a six o'clock flight. And then so we flew down to Bowling Green, played one game on that Monday, lost, flew right back up. Bowling Green, once they finished the game, two hours later, drove back up to us. And then we finished off the two-game series, but we lost, whatever. But that brings up the point where this is my first year in pro ball in general. Mm-hmm. And oh, this is going to be my second year, but last year was my first year. And sure. I have a unbelievable amount of respect for the players because it is, it is ridiculous sometimes, like the conditions of what you guys have to perform in. And yeah. Yeah. It's, it's every single day. And I tell players that now, whenever I talk to college or high school guys, I, I tell them, you really, really need to know if you want to play professional baseball. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is definitely one of the things I probably wish I knew before getting into it, just so I could prepare for it better. Um, I think about this year when I got promoted in June, um, it was mi- the middle of the week. It was like a Thursday when I got told, and obviously you fly out the next morning. Um, you know, so you wake up at four, fly out at, you know, like seven, um, take another flight, get there. I got there at like 1130 in the morning. And they're like, all right, so we're just like not even going to send you back to your hotel because like everyone's reporting right now. So you'll just stay here. And then I was like the first guy out of the pen. And I was like, <laughs> nice. I was like, sick. There a couple innings and I was like, dude, I'm gassed. Like, I, I was like, oh, man, like, please let, never make me do that again. Because like that actually counted. Like, I couldn't believe that it counted for something but um it was it was still a cool experience it was like oh okay like this is what pro ball is like like that's that's the reality of things like sometimes Mm -hmm. you're gonna wake up take a few flights and then pitch that day and it's like oh my gosh like it's wild um where is aberdeen again it's maryland it's like it's like a half hour outside of baltimore so we were the closest affiliate to like actual baltimore orioles okay that's actually cool Mm -hmm. did were you able to like go to any Orioles games or like anything like that or no we, we were able to. It would just depend. Monday's the off day. Because Monday's, um, yeah. So if it, if it lined up well, then you could. Um, yeah. Downtown Baltimore is very nice in general, so you could just go there if you wanted to. But our, our supporting staff, like our coordinators, were always in town just because we were so close. Mm-hmm. How'd that housing work, too? It was, I mean, for me, it was fantastic. Like, we were in okay. these, these great apartments, um, like 15 minutes away from the field, um, <laughs> fully furnished, like, it was had a gym. It was it was great. That's for so you. Nice. How was it? Uh, well, okay. It was it was fine. Probably like twenty minutes outside of like the city. This is for low A. Um, it was probably like another fifteen minutes when I was up in high A too. But we the only issue I had is that we didn't get our own bedrooms, so we had to share Whoa. a bedroom. Yeah, in low and high A, you have to share a bedroom. So I'm hoping they switch that for this season. Something happens uh-huh. with maybe the new CBA uh, uh-huh. for minor leaguers <laughs> where <laughs> like, all right, everyone gets their own bedroom. Like, that's fine. Yeah. Cause I think that is actually an important thing to have, honestly, like is your own space to kind of like, just not be thinking about like baseball or like being around, you know, just like your teammates all the time. I think you need a, a space to kind of decompress. Also, I just like my privacy in general, but um, <laughs> yeah, but you'll, you said you'll be in Florida for this year, right? For the whole year. Mm-hmm. 
the complex. Yes. You excited for that? I'm, I'm actually, I'm so pumped. I, I think there's so much opportunity and that's what a lot of people have told me um, from higher ups is like, there's so much opportunity in the complex to like really do some good um, mm. and like skyrocket careers in a way where like one little switch can change somebody's life. Mm. Okay. And for those that don't know, can you elaborate on like what the difference between being at the complex is like versus, you know, an affiliate? Mm-hmm. So uh, I'll basically do the difference between, between high where I was last year and the complex. Yeah. So high, for example, this past year, people have said was like the biggest jump level. So like going from low A to high was the biggest jump in terms of talent, hmm. in terms of like the pace of the game, in terms of like pitching repertoires, all the different kinds of things. And it's a lot of guys who were just recently picked uh, from the draft, like your a lot of your first round college bats, second round college bats, or some people kind of making their way through the system from high from high school, go to high hmm. A. Uh, versus the complex, which is a lot of your like recently drafted high school kids who are super young and then a ton, a ton of Latin talent. Mm. And so yeah. with the Latin talent, it's a lot of just raw stuff all the way around that mm-hmm. really hasn't had any fine tuning or teaching. And so you may have a a, a Latin player who's six four, a hundred like eighty pounds skinnier on the skinnier end who throws like 98 with a banger slider, but throws like 30% strikes, for example. Yeah. yeah. And so, so basically you're, <laughs> it's up to you to kind of fine tune that and, and get him just, I guess, fine tune certain things to where they can go make their way up to low A and then make that same incremental jump as they make their way up. And the same goes for hitting. Mm-hmm. Like you might have these, these monsters who are hitting 450 foot home runs in BP, but every time they get a slider, they swing and miss at every single one of them. Yeah. And so the hitting coaches have that challenge. And so that's, that's basically the talent difference is just a lot of the talent as you make your way up to high is a lot more polished. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. I, I, I always look at like my, all my Latin teammates and also how young they are. And I'm like, dude, if these guys went and played at college, they would just be studs. Like they'd probably be studs. (laughs) And then I'm thinking like, I mean, they got a lot of them will get good money too, like out of the draft or, you know, however they are discovered mm-hmm. essentially. But I'm like, just learn if you just guys like learned English, like got by in oh. school, like how, how crazy would that be if like colleges started just getting like this wave of Latin players? So then it's like the MLB where it's like heavily Latin, but then it's just college mm-hmm. is like insanely Latin. You're like, oh my gosh. Cause I guess. I don't know. I feel like a lot of people don't know this casual MLB fans, just how talented like guys that even at the complex are, let alone like your affiliates, like the talent level, even at the complex, which is like step one is just nuts. Like mm-hmm. it's crazy. Like you said, it's just honing in those, those, you know, talents, uh, whatever it is with velo stuff, uh, exit mm-hmm. velocity type tools. Um, would you say that's like the most difficult thing to do is like to get that raw guy and turn it and, and really polish him up? I mean, we'll see, like, this is, this is going to be my, my test, my crack at it. Um, to my understanding that, yeah, that's, that's it. And mm. it's, you just want to see them make the incremental jumps and then keep it, I guess is, is one of the other issues. Cause you may, you may have like a fix to where somebody's bullpen, for example, is like electric, some of the best stuff, 
Mm. But then for their next pen that they throw the following week, they may forget whatever you just said. And so it's like, man, like we have to go back to square one. And so mm. what people have told me, it's a lot of, it's a lot of teaching discipline and the teams who have the best complexes and the best Dominican academies really have like a disciplined schedule and a, and a method to all the things that they do so that there's structure and then players can really accelerate beyond that. Mm. That makes sense. Has there been anybody, um, it could be an American or a Latin player. It doesn't really matter. Um, but has there been anybody like where the second you saw them, you're like, Oh my God, this guy is completely built different. Like he is so much on a different level than like everyone mm-hmm. else. Cause I mean, come on, like every, every team has like those kids, you know, those pos- prospects that they got where you're like, yeah, that guy's special. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I- I'm going to give one. I, I, I kind of, I want to give three. You have a lot of like good young players too that are in your guys' system. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know a couple obviously, but like there's some really good players. I'm going to do one hitter that we had, one pitcher that we faced, and then one hitter that we faced. Okay. So the hitter that we had, when you see Adley Rutschman taking at bats in high A, like it was just a completely different like composure, comfort. And you, you would just see him mm-hmm. take at bats and you could see he is – a lot better than everybody else who's playing in these games. Yeah. It's pretty. And, it's almost pretty to watch. Oh right? yeah. He's, he's, he's crushing every pitch he's hitting. He's taking really close pitches that you would think some guys would chase some guys might roll over and mm. he's just like not even faced by it. And then his routine of what he did every single day was, it was good for our players to see it because obviously he's accelerating very, very well at the professional level and sorry, the big league level. Mm-hmm. And then we faced uh, Jason Dominguez in high A with the Yankees. Yeah. And he, he's very he's very young. He's also pretty raw. Like, there are some mistakes that he made in the games. But, mm-hmm. like, when you see him, when he really, like, connects with the baseball, for example, or, like, when he really runs, it's like, man, that kid's got some tools. Mm, okay. Yeah. And, and, and then the pitcher, this kid is so a- – Andrew Painter with the Phillies. Oh, I yeah. Think, he's a high school kid, right? he was a high school pick. He pitched against us uh, plenty of times throughout the season. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that, that kid is disgusting. Like yeah. it's, it's upper nineties with a really good slider. And then I think he developed a curveball like in the middle of the year that pushed him up to double A, but like that kid, that kid has like dominant starter written all over him. And it's crazy. It's crazy to see that because it just reminds me like when I, when I hung my cleats up, I was like, all right, there's guys I'd be competing with like this. Oh They're yeah. A lot better. Yeah. I see some of these guys and I'm like, hold on, what? We're on the same like level right now. Like, dude, you are so good. Like it's is what I mean, I, I think back to um one week in high A when we uh we faced the Brewers and we were um we were facing some big leaguers that were just on like rehab assignments and um Brandon Woodruff pitched against us and I was like <laughs> So our uh, bullpen was out in center field, but there's like a clear fence so you can watch kind of. And then we also had like, I don't know if we could watch from above. Doesn't doesn't even matter. You could still watch kind of from like that center field view. And I mean, my draw is just on the floor the whole time. I'm just like, the whole whole time. I don't know if he missed a spot. It looked like he was kind of just like chilling, just, just throwing like a nice chill, like bullpen session out there. But it was five innings of shutout baseball, and it was just like, just carving our players. Like, <laughs> I think they understood that they had no chance going in, but obviously you can't like have that mentality when you get in the box. But then like three pitches later, you're like, 
I mean, we all knew this was coming. Like it, it was so <laughs> impressive to watch this guy just, just paint just like the most beautiful painting of all time in that little box. Just every at bat, you're like, I, I think the one thing that stuck out to me with him is that like even on like the, the occasional rare miss, you're like, oh damn, that's definitely a setup pitch. Like that's for <laughs> sure a setup pitch. And then sure enough, it was the perfect setup pitch for whatever he threw after. And you're like, yeah, these guys are calculated on like a different level. I mean, I think about like you mentioned Adley Rutschman, right? Mm -hmm. I would think a guy like him already has so many reps, like high level reps in him that like when he sees certain pitches or whatever, like it's already registering in him so quickly where he's just like, yes, like I know exactly what I'm doing where I don't Mm -hmm. know. I don't, do you think it's like a reps thing? Like, do you think like that's the separator for a guy who like looks so good in the box versus someone who maybe looks a little bit like, I don't know, I'm not like super ready for it. Cause some guys look like they just seem to know like more about what's going on, you know? Yeah. And with Adley, he just, he trained so competitively. So like when, when Colin mm-hmm. mentions how like we, we really throw our BP, like Adley's, Adley's reps are always very competitive. Like he wants, he wants, you know, good firm fastballs or, you know, breaking balls, whatever during BP Mm. so he can see it. And then when you really see him swing, like it's the upper half stays neutral, but like, like his pelvis is moving, like as he takes, as if like he, if he were to swing at it, this is how his body would like fire forward, but the hand stays so still. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, that has to be a repetition thing to where he, he knows how to do that. And he can just see the ball so clearly to take, but the lower half moves Hmm. and yeah, you're right. It is. It's it's special to see. And like when you when you do see it, like how you saw with Woodruff, like you you know when it's like a big league talent or somebody yeah. who's special taking swings. It's wild. And you think like, okay, there's all these big leaguers, right? They're they're all like that. But then you have those minor leaguers too, where you're like, okay, well, this guy's had big league time, or even if he hasn't, like he looks like a big leaguer, you know. And you're like, mm-hmm. where's that jump happen? Like, where's that jump happen? Is it just like the time spent? Like, mm-hmm. I'm still kind of navigating like where that happens you said the big jump for your guys org is like low a to high a right Mm -hmm. at least to my understanding because when i would coach first base for example like did you ever run into nico cavadas from from notre dame so the week that i got promoted we were playing against uh his team and Mm -hmm. i think he got promoted like while i was up in high but like we ended up playing them again and he was already promoted so i never got to face him because i didn't even get to pitch that week mm-hmm. never got to face him but when we played them the couple games that i watched impressive exactly and so and so i was coaching first base so and we were facing him and he had like these like stupid stats i, I was mm-hmm. like dude how how long have you been here like like are you just torching baseballs the whole season? it was it was like july at that point <laughs> And he was like, no, dude, it's like the difference between low A and high is just so different. He was just saying how basically you can just take sliders down early because everybody's going to spin him or throw him change-ups early in the count because they don't want to give him heaters. And then he would say basically that he would get ahead in the count and then just sit heaters and then just destroy him. Like, mm. And then for our guys, like it's similar. It's like in low A, it's, it's still raw stuff. It's still people figuring out the strike zone. But once you get to high A, it's more of a different understanding of how to pitch like you're facing guys like Andrew Painter in high A, like who yeah. can throw their their slider, their 60-grade slider on the black part of the zone three times in a row and strike you out looking. Yeah. Those and guys. So I guess I'm still, 
I didn't mean to cut you off again, but I'm still trying to navigate sure. the age as to which that happens because this is only my second year too. I don't know yeah. where the jump happens in terms of age or reps. I think that's still like a like a blank shape. Yeah, I don't know. A lot of guys are telling me it's the the high A to double A jump that's big. Mm-hmm. I realized for us uh, this season as an organization, there were some guys who dominated high A the year prior and then started the year in double A and weren't like didn't have as good of a year. And we were like, okay, so is double A just like crazy hard? That's like kind of what everyone was thinking. Like as soon as guys mm-hmm. got promoted double A, it was like, <sighs> all right, like is it just like a whole new ballgame up there? Like what's the deal? Then I thought to myself, at least from the pitcher side, they do change the baseballs, right? Don't they start changing the baseballs up in double A or don't they I'm, like I'm not 100% baseballs? sure of that. They might have different baseballs. I know guys who were in double A during spring training, at least for us. They would like warm up with big league balls or stuff like that um, mm-hmm. just to see like, you know, what that's like. And I don't know if you ever thrown with a big league ball, but the difference is unreal. It's crazy. I mean, I can see mm-hmm. why guys use like sticky stuff and stuff like that um, because it is really different from these minor league balls. Um, what's your what's your take on that, actually? Like the sticky stuff. The sticky stuff thing? Like, crackdown. Yeah. Like wait, where do you... Where do you lie on that sort of debate? I mean, I would love to know how much it's actually regulated. Like, I wonder if people mm-hmm. are still working their way around it at the big league level. Um, I don't know. I I think that it, if if there's data to to kind of suggest and prove, which I think is what I think the pitching side of it has been saying, like guys have lost control of the baseball in a way. Like there's mm-hmm. there's like more pitches that are close to being hit or hit batters and stuff like that um versus like the stupid strikeout numbers that there might have been beforehand i don't know i i think i fall pretty neutral i i can see both sides of it i understand pitchers really want some hitters some hitters want pitchers to have more control of the baseballs yeah and so yeah it is it good for baseball to completely eliminate it i don't know i don't think there's enough information or data out there yet to suggest otherwise yeah but i think that it's that's going to be something that's talked about for a while and i wouldn't be surprised if it flipped yeah and then you think about okay why are they doing the sticky stuff in the begin like to begin with you mentioned control like that's the big issue really is the control mm-hmm. for pitchers and i think the big problem is actually just the mlb not like providing great regulations on like how they prepare their baseballs for a game because mm-hmm. i mean we've seen clips you know big leaguers they get a ball they're like what is this garbage? And they throw it and then they get another mm-hmm. one. They're like, are you kidding me? Throw that thing again. <laughs> and then they're like, mm-hmm. all right, well, I, I guess we have to work with this piece of garbage. And it's mm-hmm. like, how is that a thing at the big league level? Right. Mm-hmm. I actually saw a study. I don't know if you saw this study on Twitter or whatever of someone who like collected a couple, like 200 baseballs throughout the year. And mm-hmm. they did like this whole third party testing thing. And they found like some juice balls that were like a little lighter, some heavy balls that were frankly dead. And then they found like these middle, middle ground ones. They called them like the Goldilocks balls. And then they were like tracking where they got the balls at what points in time. And they found like a lot of these like juiced or more Goldilocks balls were in like bigger games, more in the playoffs or like at Yankee games. Funny enough. (laughs) Yeah. As opposed to like a lot of other stadiums where the balls were coming from there. There were a lot more like dead baseballs and it was like, Hmm, interesting. Like, okay. So we were, we're experimenting with experimenting with three different baseballs now. Like, mm-hmm. can we make any of these like stickier? Like, 
How about that? Like that would be cool too. <laughs> I think like Japan came out with some, they are, they're using some weird baseball that that has like what looks like these almost uh, like golf ball dimple like looking things, but more mm-hmm. like holes that like get, gives a better like texture to the ball. Maybe like a little chalkier. I know we experimented with some different balls in Arizona. Like they gave us like these weird, like chalky ish, like balls. And yeah. I, when I was throwing, I was like, these are funky too. Like, this is weird. Yeah. Like, how is this a problem though? Like, can we figure this one out? Cause I'm not trying to like, you know, move up a level and then have this ball in my hand, just be like totally foreign. And then I'm like a whole new pitcher. Right. Completely like, different. Mm-hmm. It'd be insane. Um, I also wanted to ask you, have you, uh, I know you're probably not looking too far down the road, but have you ever considered mm-hmm. like going back into the college world in terms of your coaching career? Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've thought about it uh, just because what I think about when in terms of coaching, why I coach is my head coach, Eric Backage in college was like basically my hero. Like he, mm. who he is as a person, what he was about. I was so, so unbelievably fortunate to have played for him. And so then to kind of think about like at at a high level, okay, what do you want out of coaching? And I think I kind of want to facilitate and have those relationships that he had with all of his players and the impact that he had, like, I want to do something like that. Mm. And so maybe like in the grand scheme of things, I could see myself going back down to the college realm, but like right now I'm trying to take from him basically to have that front foremost thing be relationships first. Okay, so that was kind of like a big thing for him is like building the relationships with every one of his players. And that kind of was like the core of his sort of coaching style. Absolutely. Like his his door was always open. Um, we would we would have dinners at his house and his wife would cook for us. Each class would go like we would have Christmas parties at his house. Um, when I was when I was in my senior year and he could like officially like talk to me and things like that, he would he would call me on the phone or um after the area code games like he would go get dinner with us and stuff and so there was just Mm -hmm. so many things so many so many green flags of like who he was as a person throughout my whole college career and throughout my whole college recruitment where it was like man this is this like a stand-up dude and i could talk about him for hours like he he's great and so to hit for him to now be at clemson which i know was a big deal for him uh, we're all happy for him and he's going to do a great job. And all those guys are like unbelievably lucky to have him as the head coach. What about him? Like on the field though? Cause obviously I don't know. You're, you have perfect experience. What's he like on the field? He's, he's pretty mellow. mellow. So okay. like he, for example, like he, I, he only got tossed once my whole college career. And actually no, 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 twice, but it was all, it was both for like these stupid things that shouldn't have happened. Yeah, and and he wasn't even like yelling. It was just like mellow arguing. It was it was unreal, and so he's never like he was never a big rah rah guy in the dugout. Like he he'll just sit there with his clipboard and he'll give his signs, and he may say something to you like individually one on one and just like talk pretty like how we are right now, mm-hmm. and he's just even keel. That, that that's just who he is. And yeah. off the field, he's just this energetic guy who's you know, bouncing around and he lifts like a maniac. And so oh. it's it's interesting how different his on-field character is to like who he is off the field. Interesting. I, I always mm-hmm. find it like fascinating when a coach can be kind of like stoic on the, on the field. Cause it's almost like, 
this man's able to like handle the pressure because college baseball, mm-hmm. I mean, being a head college baseball coach is high pressure. I mean, like it's wild. Your job literally hangs in the balance of like 18 to 22 year olds and like <laughs> them winning baseball games for you. Like that's wild. I think about that all the time. Cause I've had people ask me about getting into coaching or not. I would do that. And I think about that. That's the first thing I think about is like, can mm-hmm. I trust these like kids with my job? Like, mm-hmm. but then again, I guess it is more of a testament as to like how will you do your job, right? Um, but yeah, okay, that doesn't surprise me though that he because I've heard just like how he's regarded at least in college baseball. Um, were you surprised like when he took the job at Clemson, or was not, it kind of like not surprised? Oh, okay. Like, just he, makes sense. so his his first his first ever gig was at Clemson as a volunteer assistant, and so oh, I think okay. that he he yeah. felt as if like that's like kind of like the pinnacle like, like that's where it all started that's where he is now and so i think that he he understands the situation of like what clemson's about and so mm-hmm. I, I can assume that he was probably like one of the first phone calls that they had to have made okay. um, and so we, yeah. we we understood okay are you you'll probably see him at the acba huh yeah i'll see him there i already texted him um yeah. he'll be there and so will our assistant coach which would be good have you been there before have you been to that first year was last year um, okay can you tell me about that actually yeah, it's just like imagine like every every coach you could ever dream of in one location. Like yeah. it's <laughs> it's like it's 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 Tim Corbin, it's uh Chris Lalonis, it's Eric Backich, it's it's everyone all in one place. Mm-hmm. And you and there's just so many A networking opportunities, B there's so many ways for you to gain information from people. And it, the best way that I can put it is like, you get out what you put into it. Mm. And so if you are, you know, comfortable enough with yourself to walk up to, I don't know, to, to Tim Corbin and say, Hey, coach Corbin, like big fan, would you mind talking to me for 15 minutes about this? Like, that's your opportunity to do it. Mm. Like everybody, everybody wants to gain edgy coaching. Everybody wants to learn something. Yeah. And so what ABCA is, it's your opportunity to like see these people one-on-one and then go from there and learn from them. And there's obviously like panel speakers and there's actual presentations from other coaches that are great. Um, but to yeah. me, the real benefit is the individual conversations that you have uh, with people that you may idolize. Yeah. Okay. Have you had it like, uh, what about last year in terms of like those conversations you, you were able to have, was there anyone you went up to where you're like, Ooh, I'm a little, I'm a little scared to do this, but I got to do this. Yeah. I know. I know the exact one, Matt Hobbs from Arkansas. Mm. Um, he, he was somebody who I always looked up to in the pitching world and he's just so well regarded in the industry. And so we were in like this little, um, this little meeting room and there's probably like 80 of us in there. And so some of the, some other coaches stopped by and we were all in there and I saw Matt Hobbs and I was like, man, I gotta go talk to him. And then, so he was, I mean, he's a, he's a great dude. We had a good conversation. Um, we texted, we actually texted a couple of weeks ago and I'm going to see him again at ABCA this year and we can have like kind of a longer discussion versus just introductions. So that's like really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy how intertwined like and connected college baseball is. I'm finding that through these interviews that I'm doing with the current coaches that I've already had on. Um, and you're right. It is, it is very important like to kind of just like put your put yourself out there and just like just introduce yourself because you really never know like where that's gonna go 
I've always found that to be a really difficult thing. I don't, I don't know if it's like a social anxiety thing for me, but I've always been like very hesitant to like go up to someone who I don't know, especially someone I like, you know, definitely know of them, but don't know them. Is that hard for you or where you're like, is it pretty easy for you to, to go up and do that? For now, it's still been pretty easy. I, I, I like to, I like to think of it just as like an opportunity. Like, I mean, what, what's going to happen at the least, like you have like a little short conversation that doesn't go anywhere. And then what I also see as a different benefit is like, since I so recently played, like some mm -hmm. of these people who I've talked to recruited me a little bit. Like I remember I talked yeah. to, to, to Mark Martinez from San Diego state. And he was like, Oh, like I remember watching you at Damien. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. Um, like, I, I think there's like a certain level of comfort, especially since I was recruited by a couple of these guys. And then my, again, referring back to coach package, like he was always so personable and um, just kind of threw himself into any situation and made friends with anybody. And so I try to emulate that in a way um, to where I can build relationships. Cause that's like the biggest part about baseball right now. Was that a thing that Backage did was like kind of um, want to teach you guys how to be like professional men on some level? A hundred percent. Yeah. He, he taught us about handshakes. He taught us about um, being able to speak in front of like a group. We used to, we used to have like presentations that we would do in front of a team. Hey, oh man, that stuff riles me up. Oh man. We would do I would all have liked that. Of things. Oh jeez. Mm. But uh, like you're comfortable doing that now because of it? I think so. Like a combination of that and kind of just some courses I took throughout the time at Michigan. Um, mm. They really like did like a good foundational level of like being able to just present and talk to people, which is a skill that like people don't have all the time. So if you're able to talk yeah. and communicate effectively, then you're, you have upper level against a big, big percentage of the, of the population. Fully agree. I need that skill. I mean, it's not that I need that <laughs> skill. Like I think, Okay, for me, it boils down to like how well I know what I'm talking about. If I'm confident in what I'm talking about and I understand the topic, then I'm like, oh, this is easy. This is great. It's when I like veer off and start talking out of my ass where I'm like, uh, all right, and let's take it back to someone else. Like, please. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? But okay, wait, I want to ask you about um, University of Michigan, just on an academic level. You said, you know, you took some classes in this area. What was your major again? I was sport management. Sport man. Okay. Well, there, there you go. Very on par. There we go. Uh, yeah. What, what, uh, what was your experience like at university of Michigan, just on the academic side? Mm -hmm. So people hear sport management and they think like, all we did was play fantasy football and stuff. <laughs> but the way I like to do it is like, we, we had a business degree in the context of sports. And so mm -hmm. instead of taking like economics, we took like sport economics or instead of like, uh, like marketing, we took sport marketing and, and things like that. And so mm -hmm. what happened was we did so many presentations throughout college in sport management to where if you weren't comfortable the day you walked in as a freshman, like if you weren't comfortable as a senior, then you did something really, really wrong. You had so many mm. opportunities to speak to where you had, to, you had to gain some sort of comfort yeah. and understand body language and understand not using um, which I still do from time to time. Oh man. Yeah. I think about this stuff <laughs> all the time, man. I mean, going back into my podcast, oof. My parents will listen and they'll be like, You said the word like about 112 times. And I'm just <laughs> dang it. I don't even realize that I'm doing it because I want it to be natural and flowing, of course. 
That's cool exactly. though. Now I'm wishing I took that. Jeez, I was a psych major, but no, our our professor, Sorry. I still remember Kelly Donahue. She she we would do public speaking mm-hmm. and sometimes she would give the rest of the class homework to basically like write down how many times you say like or um or uh or things like that. Mm-hmm. And then you had opportunities to fix it from there on. And that class was hands down the most important one I took just because public speaking, especially now as a coach, I'm speaking in front of players. And a lot of people tell me, actually, I sound older than how old I am, which is like the best compliment I get. I love it. That's a really good compliment to get. Absolutely. I think we, as um, just in our generation, we were kind of at a disadvantage in a way, because for some reason, whatever it was, we just came up talking like that. And then we mm-hmm. had to like, we had to practice talking out of that, you know, mm-hmm. it's conscious effort. It really is. Um, I mean, it takes, it takes a lot of practice, but some people, some people just never get there too, which is crazy to me. I'm like, I'm mm-hmm. thinking, dude, I'm 23. Like I need to get way better at talking. Like most people, <laughs> they're like, they're 23. They're like, I'm, I think I'm good. I think I know the English language pretty well. I think I'm solid. But for us, like we're, we're in positions where, especially in, in your position, you're already there where you have mm-hmm. to be really good at it. Oh, mm-hmm. Communicating um, effectively was like one of the biggest advantages I think I had walking into my role with no pro experience at all. I was able to understand information and communicate effectively, which helped a ton. Yeah, definitely. Do you ever think about, um, there it is, there's enough. Do you ever think about... <laughs> Now I'm going to catch myself every single time doing this. Have you thought uh, down the road? Have you thought down the road? I already asked um, if you want to get into college baseball, but do you think about what roles you want to eventually get into in terms of maybe it's pitching coach, maybe it's head coach. You ever thought about that? I think if I could, it would be a head coach opportunity because there's just, there's so much opportunity to change the world in college, in my opinion, mm. because you essentially get to choose players who come into your program from wh- whatever sort of background. And you may have somebody who's a first generation college student or somebody who, you know, comes from a tough family upbringing and you give them the opportunity to a play the game at a collegiate level, you know, on TV and under all these bright lights and, and whatever, but then B, if they walk out with a degree, then like you completely change the whole, their whole family direction of like what could happen. Yeah. And so for example, like with Michigan, a Michigan degree, and I don't mean, actually I do mean, I love my school. I do mean to flaunt this. A Michigan degree kind of allows you to walk into a lot of rooms that you may not get to walk into otherwise, just because of the distinguished that the school has or the alumni mm-hmm. that are literally everywhere. And so when you think about that from like a college head coach perspective, there is so, so much opportunity. And I think that's when, when you kind of have the understanding and mission and you see that it's hard to, to not want to do that. Mm. You mentioned recruiting too, picking Mm -hmm. certain players that to me sounds like the most difficult job in the college baseball world is actually going out and getting these guys. Mm-hmm. um have you like okay do you research any of this stuff do you research sort of the recruiting side of things like how you get players or like 
Um, I mean, obviously your, your job doesn't require you to recruit guys, mm-hmm. but have you, have you thought about how you would go about that in terms of um, like how you recruit a player or um, having a job even where you're, you're on the road all the time recruiting guys? Cause I've thought about that too. No, definitely. Because I think our staff did it so well at Michigan mm-hmm. in bringing in really good dudes at like the base level and then building upon that with like, okay, they're talented in these facets and then building a team that forms and like a conglomerate of like us all working together in this big grand scheme that they painted three mm-hmm. years ago when they recruited all of us. Yeah. And so I, it's, it's hard because recruiting to me, you have to get the right people into the program that you want. And so I think what our coaches did was when we would have recruits on visits, for example, we would, or sorry, they would basically tell us, be honest with them. Like, don't mm-hmm. fluff it. Don't, don't tell them, oh, it's, you know, sunshine and rainbows. It's football every Saturday. It's, it's gorgeous weather in Michigan all the time. Like, don't believe what people say. Like, tell them it, it's freezing cold, like 90% of the time. It's cold. Yeah. What we do is not easy. He's going to push you mentally, physically, beyond what your limits of what you think that you can do. It's hard. Hmm. And so if, if, and then if we would have guys come and some people would be scared of that, some people wouldn't like that. And some people would be like, okay, like game on. And then that's how you get the right people into the program mentally and then Mm. allow our coaches to then decide for who's there talent wise. Mm. I have a feeling that we're going to get to a point where every kid who knows, like they're, they're hyper aware. So when they hop on the phone, they know exactly what to say. They know exactly how to Mm -hmm. tailor themselves as a player to the coach, but then they get up, get on campus and it's, they're just not the same person that would freak me out the absolute most as a coach to say, Whoa, whoa, hold on. I thought you were like this whole type of like different type of person than you're actually showing ourselves off to be because like you just said, you can be trans transparent as possible. And then that'll probably attract the guys that at least want to be there. But then you have like so many, you have so many kids who just want to impress the coach and, you know, tell them, like, yes, this is where I want to be. But then they get there and it's just not a fit. So it just mm-hmm. blows my mind, like, how a coach has to navigate, like, a player who just wants to be there as opposed to a player that will actually fit a program. It's wild. Mm-hmm. Um, then again, in Pro Bowl, you don't have to deal with that. So that's nice. <laughs> yeah. Event, like, okay. Eventually, though, you, you'll want to be in, like, a draft room, right? Like, wouldn't that be cool to be in a draft room? I've, I've heard that it's like, it's a like once in a lifetime special experience to do that. It's gotta be wild. Oh, I'm just thinking, or to be an area scout that's submitting these players too. I mean, I still talk to my area scout. Like I, mm-hmm. I when I go to New Orleans, I literally see him. It's gotta be crazy. I don't even know who, who's even in the draft rooms really. Besides obviously like the, the front office, be like the high up front office. It's just scouts pretty much. It's just scouts. Scout, scouts. And then some teams will have player development in there. Cause like you want to kind mm. of join the two together. Cause you don't want, scout to basically pick a guy and let's say you for example and like let's say like like the royals have a really bad track record of like developing left-handed pitching Mm. like like if they if they were to pick you as the first overall pick and you have an entire player development staff who can't develop left-handed pitching like then what what are we supposed to he's just like a waste of a pick because we can't develop him so Mm. you want to kind of tie those two in together so it's like 
oh, we really like this kid for this, this, and this. And then player development says, okay, we can elevate him in this way, this way, this way. Mm, okay. Okay. That's actually surprising. I never really thought about that way. Speaking of surprising, like, has there any, been anything surprising since you've actually hopped on, like, as a, you know, person who works for a professional baseball organization? Has anything stood out to you or like, whoa, didn't expect this? I ju- just kind of like how we talked about before with how long the season is. Mm. Like, like coming from a 60, like in Omaha, for example, we played 62 games, I think 63, something like that. And mm. like, that was long. And then you basically multiply that by two is how many we played in high A. And so yeah. when we got into August and September, I'm like, man, this is, this is insane. Yeah. I, I, know, I know the first season, definitely. I, I could tell it took a toll on me more than I even realized. Um, but it's so hard. It's like, how do you, how do you prepare for that, for that first season? Right. I don't know. I imagine the seasons will, will get shorter and they always feel shorter as a player if you're doing better. So mm-hmm. that's even more motivation to, you know, just keep playing better. Right. There we go. Uh, what about, okay. Cause obviously, you know, your bit, your whole job is baseball. Um, how do you, how do you detach from baseball? Cause like I've said, you kind of have to get away from it a little bit. You can't always be focusing on baseball. You got to have some other part of your life mm-hmm. that isn't baseball. So how do you, how do you get outside? What's the aspect of your life? That's, that's not baseball. Mm-hmm. I was, uh, I was pretty, pretty fortunate to have my career and I always say this to have my career and in a way where I don't have any regrets Mm. and so when that when I when I ended things I got really into fitness just to kind of also facilitate some energy of what I needed and so it's definitely the gym is kind of where I relax unwind even though I'm doing whatever I'm doing Mm -hmm. and it gives me opportunity just to think and just the benefits that I've understood of staying athletic um just as as long as i can throughout life there's countless amounts of studies of how good that is for you as a person and so the gym is definitely that for me um mm-hmm. my my teammates like to make fun of me for all of it because they call me the hardo well i've but, seen some um, of your videos i see some of your videos because <laughs> you're because also that some of the videos you do or that i've seen it's like you're doing things that maybe a baseball player doesn't necessarily need to do but mm-hmm. it's still really good for you I look at those and I'm like, okay, I know I don't need to do those right now. It would be cool to like try that out though. Mm. It'd be fun because as baseball players, there's some things we're just not supposed to be doing too. Oh, 100%. I mean, especially as pitchers, it's like, oh man, if you, if you put a barbell on your chest, like, you know, everyone's going to sue you, but you know, now, now you can kind of do whatever you want and you're right. It is therapeutic. Honestly, when you're in a mm. bad mood, like go lift, go, go lift some weights, like go blow mm. some steam doing that. Whenever you're, you know, feeling like dog shit, you're sick, go lift some weights, go freaking train. I don't know. Shoot a basketball, do whatever, like go try to be an athlete somewhere. Um, it's mm-hmm. so good for our mental health. And I kind of, I'm on the same wavelength as you. I want to always be in good shape. I, I don't know if it's a fear, but it's just like always in the back of my head, just thinking, oh, man, when I'm 60, like, I really don't want to be in a wheelchair. Like, please, dear God, mm-hmm. no, I just can't. Like, I got to be mobile. I got to be moving around. And then you see maybe like, you, you know, you have TikTok or something like that. You see some like 60 year old guy who's on like the knees for toes, dude. And yeah. it's like, you know, you, you see and you're like, oh, my gosh, this guy's like 60 or whatever. It's like, this guy's a freak. You're like, oh, my gosh. It's like, I want to be like that. That's cool. I don't know. Maybe we're just, just both like fitness sickos in that way. But 
I and think that's I, a good I, I like to put it in the context. Like my head coach was always very physically fit, and I always, and I think our whole team really respected that out of him. Like mm-hmm. if he told us, if he told us go run, like he, there might be times where he'd be like, "All right, I'll I'll race you and I'll beat you." Oh and wow! So I think that even this past year, I think I think our players kind of respect the fact that like I I take care of my body and like if they ever want to like lift, like dude, I'll I'll go with you. Yeah, why not? Mm. And so. I think that's also been like a another underlying motivator is like okay i want to always be physically fit to the point where my players respect me in that way as well versus mm-hmm. just saying i oh i tell them go run for this that or the other thing and then they say well why don't you go run oh wait you can't you're not fit enough yeah <laughs> yeah yeah exactly well okay but there there are times too where and i've been here where you just you lack the motivation have you ever, or when you have those days, what is it that, that gets you up? You know, where it, 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 you're, it shoots you out of bed. You're like, all right, shoot. Yeah, you're right. I got to I got to just do it. There's just something in me. You just got to do it. Cause, mm-hmm. cause you might have players that, that might be that way. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, I guess maybe more so not even for yourself, but for a player, it's like, how do you, cause there's going to be players that are just unmotivated on some days. And you might have to like kind of nudge him a little bit, you know? So I don't know if you've had to deal with that yet, but have you thought about how you might have to deal with that yet? There's, there's two things that I like to, to either bring up or to keep in the back of my mind or to tell players. Mm -hmm. The first one being that whatever, like what's today, today's December 19th, 2022. Mm -hmm. You literally get one of these forever. Like there will never be another December 19th, 2022 ever for the rest of your life. Mm. So whatever you do today is written in history forever. And you will never get another opportunity to have this day again. And so some players will say, okay, okay. And that will get them going a little bit. And then what I like to do, what I like to do, what I learned from somebody is to split your day into four quarters. Hmm. And so basically from when you wake up, like let's say you wake up at seven, for example, from seven to like 11 o'clock, that's the first quarter. So like, what are you going to do? Like you can go to the gym, you can eat breakfast, you can, you know, do some homework if you're somebody in college or you can, you know, do whatever, whatever you need to do from seven to 11, find a way to win that quarter. Like do some things you know you need to do. Mm. And the second quarter is from noon to, to three. All right. So like you're, if you're in high school, you're in class at that point, you're make sure you're eating well, Make sure, you know, you're doing the things that you need to do from noon to three. And then the same thing happens from three to six, three to seven. Win the third quarter and then make sure you go to bed on time, which is the fourth quarter, which is like 7 p.m. onward. Like what time are you going to bed? What are you eating for dinner? Mm. Are you, you know, talking to your parents? Are you doing stuff that's fruitful? And if you do, if you just effectively try to win the first, second, third, and fourth quarter, or even just win three quarters a day, like you're having very, very productive days. You can, you can take a quarter mm. off, right? Like it doesn't kill yeah. you, Yeah. but win yeah. the majority. I see. I see. I like that. I've never thought of that at all. You mentioned the sleep thing. That was the one thing that I really relied on um, during this season is like getting consistent sleep. How are you with like your sleep? I, I'm always curious. Mm-hmm. Uh, my girlfriend hates it because I take sleep pretty seriously. Um, okay. And so she she's an ER nurse. And so she works these bizarre hours she's a night shift at er nurse might i say so she works bizarre yeah. hours 
And so she's like a night owl who stays up pretty late versus me. I go to bed early and I wake up early just okay. because there's way too much information out there about the importance of sleep and how that affects your body, your mind, all these different kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that if I were a player, I would have taken more seriously. It's not been a moron when it comes to sleep. In college, you mean? In college, high school, like high school, I was playing Call of Duty till 1 a.m. Like, yeah. And some <laughs> play way later than 1 a.m. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. College, I feel like it's a little bit harder, but I do remember hearing about your coach specifically prioritizing that, like talking about how important that is. But mm-hmm. then it's so hard in college, right? Like, you know, you got school. I mean, school and baseball, mm-hmm. balancing that, it's crazy. I mean, baseball, having baseball enough right now is like, yeesh, that's, that's a lot, but we used to, we used to, so he would have, he would have like this, basically an image of like a clock. And so, you know, from again, like separating the, the day, like seven to like one would be like lift food and school. And then from two to like seven would be getting to the field early for early work, mm-hmm. training practice, and then like homework and dinner. And then basically from like seven to like 11 ish or seven to 10 ish was like, he would call it fat, which was full around time. Or you can change the acronym. <laughs> you, you can change the acronym. acronym uh, I've heard, I've, yeah, I've heard this. I actually, fool we, around we were taught this a little bit, sort of. And so essentially how you way. used your fat, your fool around time was going to decipher how much you slept, how you slept, and hmm. then how you would wake up for the next day. And that all trickles. And you know that now as a pro baseball player, if you don't get a good night's sleep one night, like you are done for the whole week because you don't get enough time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, dude. I think a big problem with that too during the season for me was the caffeine of it. I think toward mm-hmm. the end of the season, I actually cut caffeine out completely because it was just messing with me in terms of when I would be able to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. Um, what What's your relationship like with caffeine? Because- I, frankly i don't even like i don't consume caffeine anymore like i just don't i do only only before workouts so like i work out like at eight in the morning nine in the morning yeah. and then that's the only caffeine i take throughout the whole day and that's i feel fair. like i've done a pretty good job of regulating it to where it doesn't affect me too bad just because i take it so early to where it doesn't affect my sleep later yeah because that long half-life you know exactly how, how it stays <laughs> in you forever i didn't know anything about that until like this year honestly in terms of mm-hmm. trying to like keep up with that stuff it's actually wild like once you get out of college how you can just like dedicate everything like you want to know to like your it's just your interests whatever like pertains like to your interests you just want to learn about it it's funny uh as opposed to school where it's like oh, i don't want to learn about this class at all you know mm-hmm. um, <laughs> It's so exciting though, right? Isn't that, isn't that cool? Like just being out of college now, like, I don't know about you. It's been great for me just not being in school anymore. Um, it's it's so interesting. It's worth it, but <laughs> you know, you're like, yeah, it's different. It's so different. It's interesting because sometimes I'll be talking to my buddies or, or whoever. And like, you'll just kind of sit back and say, wow, like I'm an adult now. Mm-hmm. These decisions that I make, I can kind of do whatever I want, spend my time how I want. And there's yeah. no regulator or decider as to who tells me I can't, can't do that, which is mm. the beauty of it. But then in that same, the same breath, you have to understand that you're an adult now. So you need to be able to do the things that you need to do to put you on the trajectory where you can kind of succeed in whatever path that you want to do. And so it's a lot of 
it's a lot of you needing to motivate yourself because a lot of the times nobody's going to motivate you. That is true. Mm. Painfully. Sometimes it's like, oh, dang, like no one's telling me to do this. Like I'm going to have to do this myself. Mm. Paz, have you uh, contemplated what if coaching wasn't a thing? What if you weren't coaching? Like what you would be doing instead? Well, before I was coaching, I don't even think you know this, but I worked in finance for three months after graduation. Oh, I finance. Did. I was I was a finance bro for three months, and I was yeah. What's that I, like? I, it was just it was not me. It was really? not me. Like I, I've I've always been very interested in the stock market. I do I do a decent job with my own personal finance, but basically I was working, and it was just not for me. And then so I I quit that after three months, and Lord knows that this opportunity from the Orioles came. And I jumped on it as fast as I could. And it's, yeah. it's crazy to think about that in hindsight, how that all worked out. But yeah, that's what I would be doing. But thank God I'm not doing that. Yeah. I mean, so, there's a lot of baseball guys that just go into finance naturally, I think. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe we just went to good enough schools where it's like, oh, yeah, you're a business school guy. Like, you might go into finance. You're probably going to go into finance at some point. I didn't know that about you. Wow. But you said you like to, uh, like, you know, you keep up on your personal finance. You educate yourself in that uh arena when did you start doing that uh probably in college um i took i took a finance class or two in college and then i think once you understand the power of what money can do you understand mm -hmm. and you, it motivates you to get some things in line because again mm -hmm. i I'm a, I'm a firm firm believer that money doesn't buy happiness but money grants you opportunities that you can then choose to make yourself happy and so that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. So basically having that stance, I want to make sure that I'm pretty comfortable with where I am like 30 years from now and, and not living penny to penny, hopefully. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, uh, you'd have to be a minor leaguer for your, the rest of your life for that to be the case. <laughs> um, so, so what uh, started it for you? Do you remember like what started for you or I know for me, it was, the pandemic, I think, uh, just once we got locked in our houses for months on end, I just decided to like, oh, everyone's talking about the stock market. Let's just look at that. Every, mm -hmm. Everything crashed 30%. All right, let's, uh, let's try our hand at this, you know, and then you get a signing bonus and it's like, all right, well, I need to put this somewhere. I don't have an agent. So uh, yeah, let's figure that one out. Um, <laughs> what, about, what about you? Like, uh, do you remember like how it started? Or, like what you get into right now? You, you don't have to disclose too much, but yeah. Uh, I think it, like my, my family, I always talk about the market a decent amount, not like not a ton, but enough to, to pique my interest to see like, Oh, okay. Like what's the context of what they're talking about. And then when you, when you dive into like a rabbit hole of, of how much information is out there, cause my goodness, there's so much that you can look at, then you can kind of decipher, okay, this is real. This is not like, this is what I mentioned. This is why I'm not interested. And then you can kind of divide into sectors that you're really interested in. And then you find companies that you're interested in, and then you can kind of go from there. Okay. Okay. So you're, you're sticking with like stocks and stuff. Like, how do you feel about like that whole, the whole crypto space? Because mm -hmm. it's a very, uh, what's the word? I mean, it's kind of, it's got the hot seat right now. It, right. Mm -hmm. Fair to say. There was a, uh, this is, a, there, there was a buddy of mine in high school in 2017, mm -hmm. um, who, who basically told me like, Hey, how much, like, how much money do you have like that you could spend right now? And I had whatever amount. And he was like, there's this thing called Ethereum and you're just going to buy it and you're not going to say anything about it. And you're just going to let it run. 
And so that at the time, Ethereum was like, I mean, probably like 60, 70 bucks, like something like that. Yeah. And you're like, well, that's kind of a lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm 17 years old. I'm like, I mean, dude, this is, this is a lot of money. This is, this is $140. Yeah, yeah. Come on now. Like, whoa. Um, so I, I'm, I'm still, I'm still in crypto decently. I'm not as into mm. it as I was like, let's say in college, uh, just because I feel like I'm, I'm playing with, with my own money now, not house money. Like I'm not, this is, this is not my parents' money. This is my money. Yeah. 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 Um, not some money you made on the side or whatever. Not some allowance yeah, it's, it's, money. Yeah. It's not, it's not allowance. Bingo. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, that, that's my stance. I don't even know if I really, I don't follow it as intense anymore, but it's still a really interesting dynamic. I, I have a weird anticipation or like a hunch, if you can call it, that something really big is going to happen in the crypto space. I just don't know what it is or when it is. So it's like, how do you, how do you follow it? It seems so, so pseudo almost. Um, and also, I don't know, like, doesn't it completely, completely rely on like big banks, like buying into the idea of it? So it's like, where like how do we how do we get how do we get on board guys like can you let us know like how this can work because obviously it it's some like faith. Right, some faith yeah hmm. is it faith or is it just I, I, like i think on the side of the investor it's just some blind faith oh for sure okay yeah mm. yeah definitely mm. and that makes sense but then again our world is becoming so much more digitized like by the day, right? I mean, you got the metaverse now. You got freaking like all this stuff. Like, have you ever, have you ever like thrown on those Oculus goggles? Those things are mm. nuts, right? Mm. Oh my gosh, it's crazy. And I don't know about you. I um I listened to the it was the Joe Rogan with uh, Mark Zuckerberg. Mm. Oh man, like the stuff he was talking about was freaking me out. And we're all just gonna turn into that movie, uh, Wally. And it's, it's going to be, it's going to be so weird, but it just makes me think everything's going digital, you know? So it's like, mm. if there isn't a standard in money too, now we're talking about macroeconomics though. I don't, I don't really care about macroeconomics at this point, <laughs> you know, it, I don't know. We're at a point in time, right? You know, we're, we're in our like early twenties where it's like, dude, we don't have time to like, think about that stuff unless it's your job, I guess. Like, sure. Mm. It's like, we just have time to like, think about like what we want to think about. I don't know. Like that. Yeah, I agree. That's the stuff that I try to try to like mess around with when I'm not doing baseball because it's so far removed from baseball. And obviously oh. as a player, like very stressful, you know, like takes up so much of your time. And also it's like, oh man, am I going to like carry out my dreams or not? Like that type of thing. Mm. I've had so many people. Um, this might, this might actually make you feel happy about not being a professional baseball player. Like so many people are just like, so... So you're willing to get paid like 10 grand a year just to like chase a dream like that, like probably won't come to fruition and like, you're going to get mm. let down by. It. And I'm like, that's the cold, hard truth of it. Yes. Mm. But I'm still going to do it. It's really the sunk cost fallacy at this point. Um, you, you were, mm. you did not perform the sunk cost fallacy, which is staying on the, the boat, even though it may be shit like sinking. You were like, oh, I'm gonna take the I'm gonna take the good opportunity over here and like mm. you know have fun with it. Um, but I don't know. Like that's it's it, it's what it, it is what it is. I mean, I don't know. Well, I I just go back to like I was I was really, really lucky 
all I wanted mm. to do in my in my baseball career in general was just go to Omaha. And so throughout yeah. my whole I'm jealous about that process, throughout my whole <laughs> uh, recruiting process, like throughout my whole college career, like I knew when that happened, like when we when we went there and I got to pitch and like we got the whole experience of what Omaha was like, I was like, okay. There was like a different kind of overwhelming peace throughout everything in my mind and mm. and everything that was going on in my life. I just I understood that I was I was I was so happy with what happened. And it's not that I didn't compete for the next two years. Like I, I still played my junior and senior year. I still wanted to win. I wanted to actually win a college world series. That would be nice. Um that went crazy, yeah. But but, but when when it was time and we lost that regional at Notre Dame and basically I had the opportunity to go play a fifth year or even a sixth year if I would want to or mm-hmm. kind of hang up the cleats. Like I, I, I told my coach, I just wanted to go, but I, I, I would tell my friends, I didn't care if we lost a hundred to zero in two games in Omaha. I just wanted to go and experience what I was like. And I got that chance. Mm-hmm. And I was so, so thankful because I'm, I'm a part of such a small population of college baseball players that got to do that. Absolutely. And you got to, you got to call, call it on your own time. Yeah. Not everyone gets to do that. It is mm-hmm. like, it is so unbelievable how many players just get their careers just injury or or it's just they're they're not playing well like you got you got to set the time like you you got Mm -hmm. that that's that's so just icing on the cake honestly can you talk actually more about your time uh in omaha just that just that whole Mm -hmm. experience in terms of i mean not not even like playing but just being in the dugout as the game's going on what that atmosphere is like like you you become a full-fledged rock star basically (laughs) there's 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 eight teams you're a member of one of those teams and i mean pretty much at this point whenever you walk around as a college baseball player like your coach will make you wear a polo and slacks right like you have your college logo on your polo and whatnot and so we're walking around in amazing blue polos, like as a group and stuff like that. And I mean, you you can't like walk 10 feet without somebody saying like, oh, do you play a team? Let's take a picture. Like, good luck, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And then to be in the atmosphere of the games, like the cool, the coolest thing to me, and I love this. So we we only use three pitchers to get to the finals. So, so Carl Kaufman, Tommy Henry, and Jeff Criswell were the only pitchers to have pitched the whole way to get to the finals. And I Wild. got to be on the bull. I got to be on the bullpen phone, and so, <laughs> and so, yeah. Our pitching coach, our pitching coach Chris Fetter, would have me go out there with our bullpen catcher, like, or pretty early in the game, like maybe fourth, fifth inning, and we just got to chill in the bullpen. And then somebody would come down, or somebody wouldn't come down, whatever. And you just get to see what at the time was TD Ameritrade, and just like the plentiful fans all all out there, and. Mm to hear the roars when home runs would happen. And when you win the game and you get to run out there for the handshakes, like it's, it's, it's crazy. It's the best experience of my life. And then pitching in it was just the icing on the cake at that point. Dude, you're never going to forget that, huh? No, never. That's so cool. But there is, there is a downside to that because I tell people all the time uh, when I pitched, I, it was against Vanderbilt in game two, uh, me Mm -hmm. against Kamar Rocker, obviously. Um, But then, (laughs) So I was in my fifth inning and 
basically at that point it was deciphering between whether or not I was going to go back out there or, or stay in. And, and so basically there, it was going batter by batter. And so to this day, I can remember me facing Harrison Ray. It was either a one, two count or a two, two count. And I throw a slider and I can still like feel the slider off my hands of where it should be and where it was. And he just like pokes his ball in the left field for a base hit. I get yanked. And mm. then the next batter hits a ground ball up the middle that we misplay. So runner goes from first to third, next guy scores. And like the game's not tied beyond that. <sighs> yeah. Oh you you like you never you never forget that and that's that's crazy but I I look up I look back at most of it and smile but like I can I can still feel that slider like right here when she's been here. <laughs> Dang! Oh my gosh, that would eat at me. But then again, there's so many good moments that came out of that. That's awesome. I do. Um, do you have any uh, favorite teammates that you played with while at Michigan? It's got to be. There's there, there's there's tons, but uh, Jordan Wogu was my roommate for for two years. Mm. He now plays with the Cubs. He was a third round pick. I think um, I pitched against him this year, actually. Yeah, yeah, he was he was in uh like he he was in South Bend. Yeah, he was in South Bend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. he was like their um, leadoff hitter, and we were like, this guy, this guy's yeah, the leadoff hitter. He had leadoff for us too. Yeah, that's impressive. Just, what about just it though? A plus human. He was a walk on originally, and so. Mm. I, I remember I, I tweeted this a while ago, but when he got picked, like he, he used to like come back to the room, our dorm room and like do dry reps in the mirror and like ask me all these questions about hitting when I don't know anything about hitting. And he'd be like, you know, should I do this, this and blah, blah, blah. And he just wanted to be on the travel roster. Like that's all he wanted to do is just travel with the team. And then oh. basically he gets his opportunity during a midweek against Bowling Green and hits like, like two home runs in two days. And then he, I think he was the leadoff hitter for, for two and a half years straight beyond that point after that game. Jeez. And oh gets drafted in the third round. Like he just completely refined who he was as a player. And it, it was, he just, he works, he works so damn hard to get to that position. And so it was pretty admirable to see him go through that and now to have the opportunity in professional baseball. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, now you can put on your resume that you coached him. <laughs> yeah yeah I, actually you know what yeah i can in a little way you can be like yeah i mean he he asked me about hitting you know we live together it's no big deal there's no big deal yeah. that's so exactly. funny I, I love how that works dude like having having a house full of baseball players too that is that's one of the best times of your life i mean oh my gosh i i love that did you also have like a like a house you know like just like a baseball house kind of thing we yeah there was like there was a bunch of different guys who lived all across campuses in different houses, but we were all mm-hmm. pretty much walking distance. So like, if you ever wanted to go to somebody else's house, like they were like a 10 minute walk away from you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean that Tulane was kind of like that too, where it's like, Oh, you just walk everywhere. I feel like you kind of need that at a college where it's like, mm-hmm. you need, you need that proximity, especially to the field too. Oh, oh my yeah. gosh. Like I can't imagine being at some of these big schools where you're like, driving 15 20 minutes like away to the field or something like that it's crazy i know my brother does that at ucla um because like their field is like across the freeway or something but yeah whatever that's a cool field that's such a cool field actually you guys you played at that regional right when you the guys super. went to the call oh, that was the super mm-hmm. when you went to the college World series mm-hmm. you know what i don't know if i saw you there but i definitely went to that super regional for sure went mm. to that super regional that was cool 
I, uh, I'm, I'm still friends with like uh, Zach Petway and mm. Garrett Mitchell and a couple other guys. And so I get to yearly get the reminder on my Snapchat memories or whatever memories it is to send them the fact that we dogpile on their stadium in front of everybody. <laughs> That's so rich. Oh my gosh. Uh, it's funny. Cause yeah, there are a lot of California guys too, that, uh, that went to Michigan from our year as well. Mm-hmm. Do they still get a lot of California guys? Was that, was that always a thing or was it kind of just our year where a lot of Cal or California guys went to Michigan? It, it slowed down. I think if I understood the process correctly of how he was doing it, it was like, like, I mean, the people who went to Michigan from our class weren't like the Prados or the Danners or all those people like that. They were like the, like the good California players, but not like the exceptional ones. And, and that's because they weren't getting the elite Michigan players. Like the elite Michigan players were going still to like Oklahoma State and TCU and stuff. And hmm. so when we were brought in, we helped the team enough to get us to whatever status, like whatever in the country. Yeah. And that allowed him to then compete and beat out the like Southern schools for those top Midwest recruits, if I understand correctly. And I can kind of see where his head was coming from because he mm. went from losing out on those recruits because we weren't good enough then. So then now we're like one of the, like one of the top 30, 40 programs in the country. Now we can say, Oh, like we just went to Omaha, like the best players in Michigan go to Michigan, et cetera. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes a lot of mm. sense. It's so weird how recruiting works in college baseball. I don't know if I'll ever do it, but eh. who knows? Who knows? Dude, like, is there anything you have for me? I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think, I I love like asking all the questions and stuff, but sometimes I I just don't give you guys like enough of like, like a, you know, a time to be like, Mm. you want to ask me some stuff? Like, is there anything you have on me? Anything? I'm I'm just enjoying the the discussion that we're having here. (laughs) Dude. Um, so you said you'll be in the complex. That's that's gonna be different, obviously, because you're gonna be working with like a lot a lot younger players, but mm-hmm. you also won't have to be traveling as much. That's gotta be so mm-hmm. nice, like not having to travel as much. I I mean, if anything, that'll probably make your year go by a little bit quicker now that you think about it. Yeah, that's that's one of the good deals because the league that I that we were in, I mean, wasn't too bad. Like you I think the longest road trip we had was uh, one down to the Carolinas, which was like eight or nine hours, which, but relative, that's only one or two times that we had to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so nothing was too bad, but to be in the complex and kind of have those short road trips to like, like Bradenton where the pirates are or where the Braves are, which is just up the road. That's mm-hmm. the travel makes it a lot easier. Yeah. Well, okay. Do you like Florida, by the way? Have you ever been out to Florida? Like prior to training last year I was. Mm-hmm. So prior to this, prior to like joining the Royals, you hadn't been out to oh, Florida? Uh, uh, I did for a couple of tournaments growing up. And then we mm-hmm. played uh, – for Michigan, we would play uh, at Port St. Lucie, the Mets complex, every year. Oh, okay. Gotcha, mm-hmm. gotcha, gotcha. Port St. Lucie, dude. That's where – well, you said it's where the Mets are. I'm trying to think. Mm-hmm. Oh, Kevin Kendall's there. Yeah. I think about yeah. – like because now it's like, oh, wow, I like know guys in different orgs. Like, that's crazy. I mean, it's – like I said – baseball world so small um how well okay not how different because i know it's different but has it changed your perspective on like where you'd want to live um in the future because obviously you're a california kid just like me born and raised but from traveling around so many places it makes me think like oh maybe i won't live in california my entire life 
How's that? Mm-hmm. Does that change like your perspective at all? The Midwest is is my place. The Midwest. I, I loved it. I loved almost <laughs> almost every almost every town that we went to during like Big Ten play. I'd be like, man, this is a good place. But like, this is a cool place too. And and so you like the cold? I I I I I, I it's not that I like it, but I think it's tolerable to the point where I could I could deal with it a little bit. Okay. Okay. Wait. What part of Michigan is a uh, university again? Ann Arbor. Ann Arbor. That's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Where else did you go in the Midwest? I'm trying to think. Where else did you go in the Midwest where you're like, oh yeah, um, I like this. Because I, I mean, I've been to the Midwest a tiny bit. There's uh like th- my friends are from different towns out in Michigan. Like there's there's good little suburban areas. Mm. Um, and then like, as much as I hate to say it, like Columbus, Ohio is a good city. Um, I've never been so. Cool. Uh, Evanston, Illinois, where Northwestern is, is a beautiful city. My goodness. Um, or where else did we go that I liked? Uh, wherever, whatever city Penn State was in, Happy Valley, whatever you want to call it, like that's that's also a great place. There, there's mm-hmm. tons of little little cities in the Midwest where the colleges are, where you're like, man, this is this this is not bad. Is it a lot more college town esque though? And a lot in in some of those cities, yes. In Evanston, Illinois, no. But like in Ann Arbor, yes. Um, where Penn State is, yes. Hmm. So you like that kind of that kind of vibe, that college towny sort of vibe? Just outside of it, like there. So I wouldn't want to be in the college town itself, but there's like nice hmm. cities right outside to where it, that would be kind of cool. Gotcha, dude. I don't know if I could do the cold. Like I took a a visit to Notre Dame once, and it was maybe like twenty nine thirty. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just standing, you know, at a, at their football game, just thinking like. Same for me. I don't know. Just can't do this. I don't know. It's. I feel like that's got to be hard too on the recruiting side of like. All right, does this kid can he tolerate the cold? Like, does he want to play in the cold weather? Because some kids just don't. Some kids just can't play in the cold weather. I don't know. For me, I, I think like my hands would actually get frostbite so quick. I don't know what it is, but yeah. Um, that that's good for you though, being able to like actually tolerate the cold coming from California. Mm-hmm. Like, that's impressive. The Midwest, really, that surprises me. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I've ever heard anyone be like, oh, dude, I love the Midwest. Like, that's awesome. I love, I love the Midwest. Good for you, though. That's cool. You don't, it sounds like you don't, you don't need uh, beaches or anything like that to, to satisfy you. I, I was never really like a huge fan of growing up and stuff. Also, I don't mean to like cut you off, but my, this is my girlfriend's apartment here that we're at. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's about to leave for work in like 10 minutes. Oh, so we have like, okay. If you, if, if you want to cut it, I mean, we we can we can work on the fly. That's no problem. If you got to go, yeah. then you got to go. You know, maybe. All right. Well, I mean, yeah. we we really went at it for like a good hour hour forty five. Like that was that was like bam 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 for like hour forty five. I mean, is there anything else like like you just would want to like kind of cap off the episode with? I mean, I feel like we've we've covered a lot on the baseball side of things. Um, like a, there's a this is definitely going to go on the baseball one not the other podcast mm-hmm. um but is there anything else like you'd want to like just throw in at the very end i think capping off we can kind of talk about the reason as to why i even got us on this in the first place from seeing the mm. quoted tweet that you had with perfect game oh my god um, yes dude okay this shit oh my gosh i guess just to lay the groundwork very quickly there is yeah perfect game which is you know the baseball thing that if you don't know then that sucks um they came out with some like nine new rankings right 
It was like nine U travel baseball team rankings. And that blew my mind particularly because I didn't do travel baseball at nine. I did it at like maybe like 10 or like maybe 11 or so, maybe Mm -hmm. 11 or 12, but never was I doing like national tournaments until like 14, 13, 14 at least. Mm -hmm. And I thought I was early and we probably were early. You actually, we were early because we were in eighth freaking grade. Like, why is a nine-year-old doing this? I just, it blows my mind. It, uh, it, it fired me up for two reasons. One being the fact that we talk about how playing baseball and the numbers of kids playing baseball is such a problem. Um, and when you have rankings like that at nine years old, like, what are you going to do other than discourage kids who aren't a part of those 10 teams? Um, yeah, and, good point. and one, a point that, people have made in the past is like the world cup was just yesterday for example soccer the most played sport in the world Mm -hmm. all you need all you need realistically to play soccer is people and the ball right you Mm -hmm. can you can make you can make a goal out of like two rocks if you were to want to and then call that the width of the goal basketball the same way you need a ball hoop and people yeah baseball you need you need a bat you need a glove you probably need cleats to play on dirt you need a field and then you potentially need lights to play. And so. And like many baseballs. And, and many, many baseballs. And so the cost to just play baseball at a surface level is already probably more than a ton of other sports. Mm-hmm. When you tack on the fact that parents potentially of nine-year-olds are paying all this money to go play tournaments too in perfect game. Like yeah. all you're doing is cutting out families that could be playing baseball or that could be developing skill acquisition at a young age of these of these kids mm-hmm. who don't even who who don't get the chance to play anymore just because their parents can't afford it. And yeah, dude, it's just this crazy realization. And I I tweeted about it too, and I tagged the Aspen Sports Institute. They basically they conjure all this data regarding how many kids are playing sports, how much it costs, and mm-hmm. basically define the issues accordingly. Yeah. And baseball has always been one of the most problematic sports because it costs so much at a service level just to play it. Yeah. And then you tack on tournaments, which just makes it, it makes it unaffordable for so many parents. And that's something I'm passionate about too. Oh, okay. Would you, so yeah. would you ever want to like get into that space in terms of working, you know, to, to kind of uh, lower that barrier to entry for younger kids to play? I think there are so many people who are doing it and doing really good jobs to mm. me. To me, the main thing is it's not necessarily like expanding leagues and stuff like that at a young age. Like, I think kids should play like Little League and things like that when they're eight, nine, 10, whatever. I think it's then making like localized showcases in different places for people so they don't have to travel, you know, to Georgia and to Florida and to Texas and to California. Hmm. where you can have like different localized tournaments, which, which is like what the urban youth Academy does or like the MLB youth mm-hmm. so that kids can go like go talk to Ken Griffey about their swing or whatever, or have showcase events where there's different college coaches all in these one place, all in this one place, seeing a bunch of different players at one time, which is what they want to do mm-hmm. so that we're not paying all this money to go play in 10 different tournaments in a summer. Dude. And frankly, who cares? If you're the mm-hmm. third ranked nine U team, like what's the bank, like what's the bank for buck here? You know, mm-hmm. you're paying all this money, right? Your kids, your, your kid's the best player on the, the nine U team. 
all right, no one cares. Like, frankly, no one cares. The only mm-hmm. people that might care are the other people also paying a ton of money who are at teams four through 10 or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just a pissing contest at that point, right? Like, if your mm-hmm. kid's the best nine-year-old in the world, like, no one really cares yet. Because even if he's the best 14-year-old in the world and, like, he, and he, you know, gets a crazy offer, it's like, dude, when you're 14 and you commit, you're not ready you still gotta like progress like it's unreal i mean i just think about like how many kids that like you know commit as freshmen or get these offers when they're really young and then they don't pan out too it's kind of just promoting like that behavior like oh as young as possible like you need to get it done as young as possible like secure that you know that offer or whatever it is be the highest rank as young as possible so yeah like holy shit n- never be on a nine you travel baseball team i don't know and then like, and, and parents freak out like whenever i whenever i go talk to parents locally or whoever hits me up it doesn't matter but they'll say like like oh when should i start reaching out to coaches doing this stuff blah blah, blah. and it's like man you like i i didn't i didn't i got my first offer what like my my the sophomore the spring of my sophomore year it's crazy and it, you have to mm-hmm. be able to and like we had to decipher because I mean we we played in the same era. Like there were the Nick Allens, there were the Hunters, the Hunter Green, there were the Hagen Danners who committed like as freshmen or even eighth grade. Yeah. Like those those are special special talents, and that's why they're big leaguers now. Not everybody's <laughs> going to be there, and yeah. so then I mean people can do this. Like I encourage anybody listening to go look at our 2017 class and the rankings, and then see who's even still playing. Oh my God. Or who, or who didn't even play college baseball. Like there's so people just miss sometimes like yeah. life happens. Those, those rankings mean zilch. Yeah. Rankings don't mean really anything. I mean, dude, I think my PG grade was like eight. Mm-hmm. Like who cares? Like, exactly. <laughs> it sucks. Cause like perfect game probably at one point used to be like, you know, a solid sort of like platform or tool or whatever for players. And, I don't know. I just feel like at this point it's become, it's become so monetized where it's like, Oh, it's just, there's so many better options these days. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. That's how little money you need actually to like get yourself recruited to. That's a whole nother discussion in itself, but we could mm-hmm. talk, talk about that at a different time. I know you got to go. So we can leave it at that. Um, unless you have any more like last things you want to say about that, but you brought up some good points there. Um, yeah. That one I'm going to have to clip for the, uh, for the old TikTok. No, yeah, I was gonna say one. if if you, do, if you do make some some TikTok clips, a I'll repost it, and then b if you'd allow me to, I want to post it on on my platforms as well if I could. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't care absolutely. Um, uh-huh. okay, I'll I'll let you go. I I know you gotta go, but mm-hmm. Isaiah, I mean, thank you for coming on. Like that was that was awesome. Like again, it was like almost two hours. The things it blows by. I'm telling you, it's it's awesome but it's yeah. it's it really it really is good to hear from you, brother i appreciate you and, and you're doing a great job and thank you if you ever need anything let me know and if you want to tap into my network and you want to get somebody on let me know oh thank you very much i will i will be hitting you up then thank you absolutely um, and we're gonna we're gonna cap it off here folks i'm gonna talk to you really quickly after we stop recording but um mm-hmm. yeah that's uh that's gonna be episode so uh thank you everybody all right go O's. <laughs>